0: Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning. So good to be back with you guys this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews. We are almost to the end. We are in week 27 of our time in the book of Hebrews. We are coming to an end in just a couple of weeks. We will finish Hebrews and move into a time of celebration as we look at the Christmas story and celebrate Jesus coming and putting on flesh and fulfilling the mission to bring us home and so uh heard a lot of great stories about our study through Hebrews. I pray and we pray that it's been both a blessing, it's been transformational, and it's stirred a hunger, hopefully, to dig in even more. And that's kind of the conversations I've heard is that, you know, we're not able to cover everything in the depth that we'd like to cover it within our time together, but uh, it's stirring a hunger to want to go and dig in even more. And if that's, uh, if that's what happens, then we've won. I feel like that's uh, one of our goals is to stir that hunger for God's Word and And that we would dig in together. And so, um, again, good morning. It's great to be back. And let me say welcome to all of you online as well joining us. If you are a guest this morning, uh, we are honored. And uh, it is a blessing for us to have you with us. I pray that we serve you well and that you see Jesus uh, work through us. Uh, We like to say that we're not perfect. I don't think there is any group or church or person that's perfect. But we try to be faithful. And as long as we do that, we think Jesus will be Exalted. And so, uh, before we get into chapter 12, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and join me in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be back in there this morning. Um, Before we get into chapter 12, a couple of announcements as you're turning there. Um, Today is the last day for uh, OCC boxes. So, if you had a box, uh, please bring that today. If you haven't dropped it off already, um, you can drop it off. I'm going to give you a couple more days, but. But please bring those this week if you didn't get a chance to get it back today. And bring it back even if it's empty. There's no judgment. This is a no judgment zone. If you grabbed it and you had great intentions and you just couldn't get it done, totally understand, bring it back. We'll save it for next year. We pay for those boxes and stuff so we can store it for you uh, and we'll save it and we'll uh, put it back out next year. So bring those back if you can. Thank you for your involvement, your participation. Our church always uh, goes all in with OCC, a global outreach uh, around the world for the gospel. And so thank you uh, for being involved in that. And today we can off, if you didn't see the video earlier, we kick off our Joy Project. This is uh, something we do every year at Christmas time where we invite you and we offer an opportunity for you to be involved in spreading the joy of Christ around our community, uh, into the families that are in need within our church, into the local schools and our strategic partners. And so you have a little handout. They're in the seat backs there. If you want to know more information about the Joy Project, you can scan that little QR code and it'll take you out to the website and give you a little more information. And Um, We just pray that God would lead you in joining us in that as he will. Okay, chapter 12. Pastor Mark last week opened chapter 12 for us, uh, and he looked at the first 11 verses. Again, we're going to be in verse 12 through 17 today. Before we get into that, though, here's a quick kind of recap setup. What we've learned through our study in the book of Hebrews and through walking through the book of Hebrews uh, up to this point, we've observed that the author of Hebrews in the first 10 chapters has been showing us over and over and over that Christ is better, that Jesus is better, he's better than any person anything, there is nothing better or greater than Jesus. It's what we've entitled this entire series through the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better and because Jesus is better and he's a greater mediator than than anyone or anything else, we are told and over repeatedly to stick with Jesus, not to go back to other things, not to, not to move away or drift away from Jesus, but to stick, to stay with Jesus so that we may persevere in our faith, we may persevere to the very end. And, and that's the first 10 chapters. And then in chapter 11, he showed us, he illustrated that very truth and principle to us through the saints who did that. So you could say the first 10 was telling us, hey, Jesus is greater. Chapter 11 was like, here, let me show you some who did uh, believe that, and they persevered to the end, and now we get into chapter 12. And as, Master, again, Pastor Mark opened chapter 12, we learned that we also are to believe that Jesus is greater and to persevere to the end, that we are also to run the race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, purposed to grow in grace, to mature. And to know the discipline of the Father is not bad, but rather it's good. It's loving, and it brings maturity, and it brings growth. I think so many of us, I would believe, in this room and maybe even online could stand and testify how God's discipline in their life was indeed something that yielded growth, that yielded maturity, brought a greater love or appreciation for Him and His blessings and His promises than anything else maybe that that has happened in your life. And while the first part of chapter 12 was about that specifically individually to us, this part that we get in comes more about community, about those around us together. Meaning there is a call on the part of the author of Hebrews here in our text for us to make sure that we're not just trying to do this alone, that we are to look around at the others that are with us, and encourage those who may be struggling to run that race, to run the race, that they've hit the wall. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Because I think the author is saying, listen, it's not enough that you and I purpose to individually pursue Jesus, which we are called to do, right? To pursue faith, to pursue holiness. But we've got to be concerned about our brothers and sisters in faith too. And so let's get into the first part of our text, Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And we've said this before, and I'll point it out one more time. Anytime you see the word, therefore, as you study scripture, it's a reference back. It directs our attention back to what has just been said or taught or shown to us. So in verses 3 through 11, that's what he's referring back to or showing us. And it's because we know God to be not a hateful father, but a loving father. And a loving father disciplines us for our good, for our maturity, that we should respond to these. These commands, not with not begrudgingly, but with excitement, with gratitude, that this is good for us. We should never approach the imperatives, the moral imperatives of scripture that God has given to us and think that that if I do these and if I do them well, then God will be required to embrace me or to adopt me into his family as his children. That God will be required to let me in, if you will, to heaven. We don't, we don't ever want to approach these in that, in that order. It's rather, it's because we're already adopted in, we're already His children, and because He already loves us, that we should do the things He's asked of us. There are expectations, there are things for the Christian to do with the empowering of the Holy Spirit within us. So you don't become a Christian and just sit back. You can become a Christian and become active with the Spirit. And we'll see that at work and at play here. And so as I mentioned earlier, this text today, it's about doing life together, having community and not being isolated. The believer's walk in this life is not to be a solitary one. We are not to try and do this by ourselves on our own. And sometimes it may feel like that. You may be in a place in your walk with with Jesus where you feel alone. But a Christian's walk is not to be solitary. We cannot go on in the Christian life without mutual support. Even Jesus showed us that model. I believe we see scripturally that we all need Christian friends to strengthen us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to bring grace to us, especially as we struggle at times with our faith. A couple of weeks ago, I had the great honor, and I I do not say this lightly, I had the great honor and privilege of traveling to Cuba and speaking at a NextGen conference, leadership and faith, two of them. And my theme I was asked to speak on was community, was community. How can we be a force for good for Jesus in the world? And I was to remind them that they are not to try to do that alone, but we're to be in community with one another, not trying to go alone, and realizing we're not to be alone. And the reason is, is because we find strength in unity. And I pointed them to Ecclesiastes 4, which reminds us that a threefold cord is not easily broken. So we see this call to be in this together. That we need one another, and I reminded them as we were there that there are brothers and sisters in the United States who pray for them and are praying for them, and hopefully they find the strength through the Spirit's work in their life that they're not alone. Even though we don't have the presence of proximity, that we're in this together, we're all going to the same beautiful eternity through Jesus Christ. So we come to this text with the same encouragement, right? And that is to do what? To encourage one another in this, in this race, in this race of faith, this walk home as we say here. And so verse 1 through 11 is a call to perseverance. Now the author is saying to help each other in persevering, which is the first exhortation in verses 12 and 13 is a call to help those who might be struggling, to strengthen the weaker that are in a season or a time of life where they are just exhausted. Brothers and sisters that are in trials with a view to them persevering, helping them get through those trials. One one commentator described this particular part of our text. He says, the words here are vivid with encouragement. Drooping hands and weak knees are typical of people with low spirits. They portray persons who have become incapable of action through sheer exhaustion. If you remember, again, at the beginning of chapter 12, if you look back at that, it talks to us in verses 1 through 3 about running the race, throwing off everything that hinders and running the race. And so to use that same metaphor as we move through chapter 12, we see drooping hands and weak knees. Well, if you've ever run any, you know, for any length of distance, at some point you run into that, right? Your sheer exhaustion, there's, there's some drooping hands and some weak knees. For some, it might be a shorter distance than others, right? But we run into that. We experience that. So he's using that same metaphor to talk about our running the race of faith. And he's saying, listen, while you're running, look around at others to see those who might be experiencing that condition and do your best to strengthen them. He's telling us to be concerned that they go on in faith, that they get through their trials. And that's hard. That's hard. Because we live in a narcissistic society where everything that's forced and pressed in against us is about ourselves and us and singular. So, this is hard, but this is the way Jesus lived. So, again, this isn't just a call to us as individuals to be careful about how we run, it's also an appeal. It's an appeal to aid others, to encourage them, to pray for them, to remind them of God's love, to remind them of Christ's sacrifice that was done on their behalf, to remind them of the finished work of Jesus, that that what we'll celebrate in a month at Christmas when he put on flesh, the incarnation, right? What we celebrate is that Him coming to do the work that we couldn't do, that is to live the perfect life that we cannot live, so that He might go to the cross and take on the sin that we have, that He might take that cup from us, that He might be crucified, He might be executed, placed in a grave, in a tomb, die, raised from the dead three days later, walk around and minister for 40 days, ascend to the Father's right hand, which we have studied in the book of Hebrews, where He is interceding on our behalf as we gather in His house, house and one day he's coming back and we are to remind them that that is true and nothing has changed that those promises that he has given us he is one able to make promises and two able to keep them he is unlike us and that is for our good it's why we offer prayer after each service with our prayer team so what we want to see our small groups pursue is praying for one another, encouraging one another, being there when, when you find yourself in this place of running the race where you're, where you're weak and you have you know, drooping hands and these, you know, these things that are happening, you're exhausted, you're weary. That's what this is to be about. Ask people if they're suffering with those things. Help them find strength from the Spirit. Pray for them, care for them, minister to them, speak grace to them get them back in the race. We're not to do this by ourselves. It sounds really similar to what we looked at in Hebrews 10 actually. In Hebrews 10, we're told first of all to draw near. That we are called to draw near and we can draw near to the Father through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we draw near, we hold fast. And as we hold fast unto the Father, we consider then how do we stir others up as we're holding fast? Because we're near to Him in love, the good works in love. And then the last thing He says to us in Hebrews 10 was to encourage. And He says it with this phrase, and we looked at this, and He says, Because the end is drawing near. And we thought to ourselves, it's 2,000. I mean, that's 2,000 years ago. And he said, "Then the end is drawing near." And if you think about it, in the context, the end is drawing near. And the one thing he says to us to do when the end is drawing near is what? Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Why? Because we're all in the same fight against sin. We're not in a fight against each other. We're all in the same fight against sin. The world of sin pressing against us, the flesh fighting against us, the devil. We're all in the same fight against sin. We're all in the same race of faith on our way home. We're all in the same journey. It's not to be an individual journey. It's a journey we're taking together as we're called to. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to really remind us and to his audience who would have heard it, who were struggling with the persecution that they were facing in that first century there's one other thing I would say before we move to the next verse. There's a realism here that is refreshing. There's a realism about how the author gives this to us in these two verses that's refreshing. He's telling us ahead of time, hey, there's going to be a day. Listen, there's going to be a day when you feel like you've hit the wall of the Christian life there's going to be a day. Be prepared for it. Don't be shocked by it. Don't be confused by it. There's going to be a day. Depend on God's grace. Believe God's promises and persevere through because you're prepared for it. Like a runner perseveres through the exhaustion in those last miles because a runner is prepared for it knowing. He says, be ready for it. it's coming. And And the reason why that's so comforting is because when that comes, help one another. Why? Because one day you're going to be the person hitting the wall and you're going to want people to help you. Jesus spoke about hitting the wall and being pressed in. I mean, in John 16, Jesus said to us, the Son of God, hey, by the way, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. He doesn't say if, in, if you experience, he says in the world you're going to have tribulation, but, but then he says this to us, and this is something that we are to remind those who are experiencing that, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is a promise, that is a promise to hold on to, it's a promise for you and I to preach to ourselves, but also to preach and share with others. Verse 14, let's keep going. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We run the race together. We are strengthening each other as we're running. And the goal of finishing not alone but together. And as we run, as we're running, we're striving, we're pursuing peace and holiness. Peace and holiness. If you could summarize that verse, you could say the author is telling us to be at peace with the world And at war with your sin. And he begins saying, strive for peace. To live the Christian life is to strive for peace. To use the language of Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, Paul writes it like this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now let me say, this is not peace at all costs. And here's what I mean by that. He's not saying... Compromise your faith to be at peace. It's not peace where we compromise the teachings of Scripture. It's not peace where we compromise the truth of the gospel. But rather it is a deliberate exertion, if possible for us, that we value peaceful relations with all people, with others, with families, unbelievers. Paul's saying, listen, don't let it be your fault that there's no peace, which that's a work for us, which is why we go back to Hebrews and the author of Hebrews saying, strive, which is a very strong word. We're to be active in this, strive. We're not to sit back and wait for it to come, but if we are to be involved in this of peace with all people, we are to strive for that. We're to be involved in that with the work of the Holy Spirit in, in us and through us. And as we're doing that, we are to pursue holiness. Again, very dist- scriptive and strong words. And he says this last piece in verse 14, without which no one will see the Lord. And I just want to make sure that we understand that correctly. He's not preaching salvation by personal holiness. He's not preaching salvation by works. He's not preaching salvation by faith plus works or or grace plus holiness. He's saying this, the whole purpose, and this is so important, The whole purpose of God's salvation is to prepare us for the enjoyment of his presence. The whole purpose of God's salvation is to prepare us for the enjoyment of his presence, which we lost in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. God created, everything was good. He made Adam and Eve, everything was good. Then the deception of Genesis 3 comes, the fall happens, we call that's when sin entered and that destroyed our presence, our relationship with God, that destroyed that, which Jesus has, has, has fixed. He's resurrected that, over that, right? He's, he's corrected that. He's brought that back to us, and He offers that path home. He offers that relationship back home, and so, so this is so important for us to understand what He's saying here. The whole purpose of God's salvation is to prepare us for the enjoyment of his presence, again, that we lost when sin entered, and we lost in our own sin, right? And so that's why we need Jesus to cover our sin, which we understood, and I just said this, which allows us to draw near again into his presence, and God's holy. And because he's holy, he does not fellowship with sin. That wouldn't work. So in preparation for the enjoyment of the presence of God, God, in his kindness towards us, in his great love towards us by his Holy Spirit, works in us holiness, and we also strive to grow in that. It's us together. We don't sit back again. This isn't like you become a Christian. You believe, and then you just sit there. We become active with him, passive with the Holy Spirit at work within us, active with what God's moving through us. We strive to grow in holiness and grace. We strive for sanctification. Let me say it real simple. We want to grow more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus day by day, glory by glory, in our words and in our actions. And the author is saying, listen, you want to live the Christian life? One, you, don't, you not only have to be prepared for discouragement that's going to come, Right? But you want to deliberately live at peace with everyone, and you want to be fighting sin, pursuing holiness, and growing in grace. That's living the Christian life. Which, by the way, is the trajectory of a Christian. That's the trajectory of a Christian. Like, we want, I mean, every disciple of Jesus should desire to be more like Jesus, not less like Jesus, Every disciple of Jesus who desire to be more like Him, not so that we can get God to accept us, not so that the Father would welcome us in, but because God has already graciously accepted us through His Son's work, already forgiven us through His Son's work, pardoning us and adopted us through the work of His Son and our Savior, precisely because of that, we want to fellowship with God forever. And if we get that out of order, it goes terribly wrong. So as the result of that, as we grow in grace, we pursue holiness because we want to be like Jesus, and we want ultimately to fellowship with him. And one day, when we do fellowship, it will be a day in which there is no sin. God has put an end to all sin, and our sanctification really is ultimately practice for what it will be like for eternity. Our maturing, our growing, God's discipline of us to grow us as we've looked at in chapter 12 is ultimately practice for what it will be like for eternity. Think about that for a second. Eternity. And eternity will we'll never, ever, ever, ever again hurt the people that we love. We will never, ever again leave The God that we love for something temporal. God will put an end to all sin one day. Not in this life, but when Jesus comes. And so our pursuit of holiness in this life. The pursuit of enjoyment. The absence of sin that we'll experience forever with God. And so that's not a negative thing. That's a joyous thing. It's an encouraging thing. Let's keep going. Verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent. That he sought it with tears. As we come to the f- final part of our text, we get some final exhortations so that we will continue to run the race and finish well. Some warnings, if you will. Some things to guard against. Some things to pursue. Some things to guard against. And we are to help each other in this. Most commentators, writers, titled this part of Hebrews 12, Be Your Brother's Keeper. Not, not in a nosy way, which we're really good at, right? Right? <laughs> not in a condescending and intrusive way which again we are really good at not in a way that gets into everybody else's business and life and tells them how they should live but rather in an encouraging way remember we're in this together we're in this together with grace we're in this together with peace we're in this together with holiness and strength and endurance for one another and so the author says tells us that we should We should have this united concern for the life, for each other's lives in these particular three areas. Look back at verse 15. He tells us first that we are to care for others longing that they receive grace. Longing that they receive the grace. Do you notice this isn't just for church leadership. It's for all the church. It's for all brothers and sisters that we would long for all to receive the grace. He says it to all of us. You should want, we should want all of our brothers and sisters in, in this place and all over to obtain the grace that is held out to them through the gospel and his word. In other words, we want to see everyone embrace a grace that God is freely offering. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you today. It's... God has you here for you to receive the grace that that he has freely, the invitation before you to receive the grace that he freely offers, to respond to the invitation of grace that is sufficient. Listen, listen, his grace is sufficient for you. I know sometimes we push back on that because you are like, God could never forgive me. God could never overcome the things I've said or things I've done or the places I've been or all that, all the stuff in my past. God could never, ever love me grace is sufficient. There is no place you could hide. There is there's no place you could go that His grace can't reach you. And maybe that's for you today to respond to that invitation and know the grace. And we are, we are called together to care about that of other people, to care about them experiencing and knowing and having and receiving that grace. And so, so often people sit up under the free offer of the gospel and they don't respond to it. They sit under the means of grace and they somehow miss it. And so the author is again saying to us, hey, listen, as a group, you should care about one another's souls. You should care about that. You should be praying for that. You should be, you should be engaging in that to, to share the work of grace within your own life, your own testimony, your own witnessing You want to see people embraced by grace. You want to see people obtain grace. You want to see people having faith in God's promises. And this is for all of us. It should be in all of us concern. And then in 15, the second half, he says, we're told to be on guard against bitterness. It's interesting. Once again, this is not a challenge to us to be on guard against bitterness in our own lives, which we should. We need to. But it's a challenge to be on guard against bitterness in the lives of the church. God's church. Bitterness is never merely a personal matter. If we are bitter, what might happen? Verse 15, look again at the very end. He says, by it, many became defiled. Many. And so what we learn from that is bitterness is contagious. Contagious. You may already know that. But bitterness is contagious, and that's why it's a concern to all of us. It's divisive. It's it's a devilish work against God's church and God's people. Bitterness always occurs, though. And what we understand and learn is it occurs when we experience hard circumstances in our lives. We experience difficult Situations we, we have these traumatic moments in our lives and we stop believing in those moments in the goodness and the kindness of God's providence. We stop trusting in God when those things come against us. When the phone call happens, the email, the text message, when someone shows up, when those things come against us, we, we push back from trusting in God anymore and bitterness begins to take root. And when we become bitter, it becomes infectious and it can impact the entire church and family and, and neighborhoods and all of those things. And so he's saying, listen, make sure no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble by it. Many become defiled. So how do we fight it? How do we fight against that? One way to fight bitterness is when we see others go through the hard times. We encourage them, but when we're going through those hard times, we stay tender we stay humble disciples who go through difficult times but they don't become cynical as a follower of Jesus and you hit that wall if you will as we again the realism here as you hit the wall and the things come against you and you're pressed in it's, it's in that moment you could become bitter you could become distrusting doubtful that God has your best interest in mind or God's still on the throne or God's still sovereign or God's still good but those who go through those things and still come out saying, I trust God. I believe in God's great work. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't know what's coming, but I trust God. And they have a sweet spirit about it. That's how we fight against bitterness. And you know what that does? It strengthens the others. I mean, I can't tell you the, the stories of people who I've watched personally in our church go through some of the most tragic things in their life and in their family's life and in the In all of it. They weren't perfect, but in all of it. They didn't waver and they said, God's got a plan. There was still hurt and pain and tears and grief and all those things, but God's got a plan. That strengthens me. Didn't cause bitterness. They weren't bitter, which we could be. And that's how we fight it. You know, Bitterness is taking the poison pill and hoping other people die. just as bitterness can be infectious, so also trusting in God's goodness and sovereignty, which we just sang about, can breed trust in His providence in other people. And then we get to the third thing, verses 16 and 17. He tells us we're to fear and to flee immorality. And he gives this description of Esau. And if you were to study his life, his life was basically, and we see it just simply in these, in these, in these verses, he that he was looking for instant gratification. His life was based on instant gratification, which we have and we know something about today. It's relevant for us today, right? We live in a world of instant gratification. We live in a world where we want it right now. And if we don't get it right now, what can happen? We can, f- we can go other places, right? If it doesn't happen right now, we go other places. A lot of those other places are probably not good for us. He gave away his birthright for a bowl of soup. Again, this is a man who is described who wanted his reward right now. He wanted immediate satisfaction. And he was satisfied in that immediate satisfaction was something temporal. I mean, he ate a bowl of soup and it was gone. It wasn't everlasting. It wasn't eternal. It was temporal. It was a passing thing. And so the diagnosis of those who commit themselves to immorality, sexual immorality, any unholiness, right, is that they don't understand the deeper joy, and understand that the greater treasure, the supreme treasure that's held out to us in Christ, that's brought to us in Christ and through the gospel an eternal joy that's, that's not fleeting, that's not, it's not disappearing, that's not going away, it's eternal, it's forever. So what comes along with it when your hope is in the here and now is this inability to repent because you become so consumed with the temporal. Esau could not get the birthright back couldn't get the blessing from God back because he says he found no place for repentance. In other words, because he was so fixed on the instant gratification, he was so consumed by the instant fulfillment that he couldn't even see his need for repentance to get the thing that his soul longed for the most. Therefore, he never received it. And the great warning to us is that the Christian life is to be a life of repentance. You can look back over the, over the centuries and you'll see that taught. That the Christian life is one of daily repentance so that we don't be consumed by the instant temporal things, but we hold on to and treasure the eternal. The author is warning us against the, foolish, the foolishness who for the sake of some momentary fleeting pleasure turn their backs on what is of eternal value. And we've said this, we're given this text to encourage us. This isn't to be detrimental or hard or or a struggle. We're, We're to be encouraged by this. It's the encouragement for living the Christian life. It's a very applicable text. I mean, the first encouragement, again, was to help those who have drooping hands and weak knees. And it was very realistic about that challenge in the Christian life. Help others. Why? Because there's strength and unity. The second one was to strive after holiness. We strive after holiness and peace because what are we doing? We're practicing Preparing to be with the Lord forever. And then, lastly, there's a call for us to be concerned about others receiving grace, and guarding against the bitterness, and running away from immorality. If I could summarize our text in one sentence, here's how it is, and we'll finish. Run with endurance together, run with endurance together, striving for peace and holiness as we are on guard against gracelessness, bitterness, and immorality, so that we may finish well together. Let's pray. Father, God, we're grateful for your word today. We're thankful for its work that it will do within our lives and through our lives into the lives of those around us. For your glory. God, we need less of us and more of you. We need more of your comfort, more of your strength, more of your wisdom, more of your clarity, more of your grace, more of your forgiveness, more of your mercy. more of you, can make us more like Jesus, transform us, that in our walk home, as we're calling out to others to join us, that they don't see us, they see Jesus within us, Jesus through us, and we need your Spirit's help to help us be more like Jesus until we're home. We pray this in his name. Amen.